Welcome to the I Make a Living podcast by FreshBooks. I'm your host, Demona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur who is constantly learning and evolving. This sometimes makes my job a little hard to define. In a nutshell, I help people find and improve relationships. And as someone who has helped singles for nearly 15 years, I know that when a dude writes entrepreneur as his occupation on his Tinder profile, it sometimes means that he lives at home with his mom and dreams of one day owning a business. Hey, no shame in the game. We all have to start somewhere. However, according to our guest for this week, creative coach Tina Smaker, we all need to master the art of defining our business to draw in potential clients, especially in the early stages of entrepreneurship. How do you define your business? When I say that I'm a coach for the creative community, what I mean is, you know, anyone who considers themselves creative or wants to be in that creative world of play and discovery and using their imagination. The business is really Tina Inc., right? It's Tina S. Maker as the umbrella, and I am my business. And then under that, I coach, I write, and I speak. So I don't see any of those things as, you know, the number one business. I see all of those things as being equal, and they cross-pollinate and support each other, and they all feed into each other. I know as an entrepreneur myself that does many things and has many hyphens to my name and also identifies as a creative, sometimes that's hard to describe when somebody, you know, you go to a cocktail party and people say, what do you do? (laughs) And There's all these hyphens after it. How do you coach people in how to answer that question in an authentic way? Okay. This is one of my favorite exercises that I like to do with people. So if you had to describe what you do without saying a company you work for, the name of your business or the title of what you do, how would you describe it? You're asking me right Mm now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I talk to people and I help people learn how to communicate better. Awesome. You nailed it. Did I? I feel like you've done this before. Do I get a gold star? (laughs) You do. No, I haven't actually. I haven't. And this is, this is really good advice to be able, because I I get tongue tied when people Mm -hmm. ask me, I'm like, it depends on what setting I'm in. Like sometimes I'm a host, sometimes I'm a dating coach, sometimes I'm a mom. And there's all these roles in addition to just whatever your professional role is. Sometimes it varies based on who you're speaking to, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also people sometimes don't have context. So if you said, well, I'm the host of a podcast, people might not understand what that even entails, right? So if I say I'm a coach for the creative community, people might say, "Uh uh-huh, but they have no context. So instead, when I'm at a party or anywhere, I say, well, I help people like you discover what's possible for their work and their lives. And then people lean in and And they're like, tell me more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it communicates the value of what you're doing, right? Because throughout our lives, the company we work for might change. Our titles might change. The roles we play in our lives, right? We have, you just named like five or six different roles that you fulfill in your life. And our roles are always changing, but the value that we contribute is like, it's the meat and the heart of what we do. So if we can go beyond titles and roles and really focus on this is my contribution to the world, That's much more profound. And it's also just much more interesting and compelling to tell someone at a party that versus, oh, I'm just a, you know, title or I just work at such and such company. Even though Tina works specifically with creatives, she stresses to everyone the importance of learning creative ways to introduce ourselves and our business, even if we're not in an artistic field. 
So I think we're all creative, number one, um, especially as children, right? We all have these wild imaginations. And as we get older, I think that creativity is, we unlearn it in many ways. But for me, creativity is anything that is non-traditional, really. It's taking a path that maybe no one else has taken or taking a path that doesn't have, you know, there's not a clear point from A to C. Um, so yeah, I think I think that creativity is much more broad. It's not just visual arts. It's people who are building their own businesses. It's people who are solo entrepreneurs. It's people who maybe work full time somewhere in house, but they have a side project that they're pursuing um, or a passion that they're developing on the side. And creativity can be for us or it can be something that we do and put out into the world that we get paid for as well. All business owners are inherently creatives. At the core of our success is the ability to imagine a business solution and then build it from the ground up, and that takes creativity. But even as a creative problem solver, sometimes life throws you a curveball and you are forced to reevaluate. What do you do when you're faced with a different kind of business problem? The unexpected hard pivot. This has happened to me several times in my business. When I had a second child and I had to restructure my business model as a solopreneur to fit in the time for a new baby. And then again, when my TV series, which drove much of my promotion, was canceled. I had a choice. Quit or evolve. Tina specializes in guiding creative professionals through that exact kind of career transition. She's good at her job because she's been through a few tough transitions herself. And I know you've held a lot of different titles and had different iterations of your business. Can you talk a little bit about your journey and what brought you here to be a coach for creatives? So at 18, I applied for this youth care worker position, and it was at a runaway and homeless youth shelter in my hometown. And I saw the social workers who worked there and I thought, man, they're really contributing and having an impact in a tangible way. And I want to do that. I also want to be creative, but I, I don't know how to take a creative path. So maybe I should take this more traditional safe path. Well, no one told me social workers, you know, don't make money. I stayed at the same nonprofit after college for about six years. Um, in the meantime, I met and married my husband, and he was creative as well, and we had both wanted to do something different than we saw our families doing. Um, and from the beginning, we had talked about making a magazine. And, you know, five years into being married, I'm doing social work. I'm starting to feel burnt out already. And he was doing web design and working for a lot of clients locally. And you were like, let's we have just, another project. Yeah, let's. We need why that. not? Well, you know, we kept putting <laughs> off this dream of working on a creative project together. And finally, we said, you know what, we're never going to do this unless we force ourselves. And so what that looked like was we turned our living room into a studio. We got rid of, we gave away our TV, couch, coffee table, everything. So there was literally nowhere to lounge in the evenings, which forced us to get in the mindset of working on this side project when we you know, at the end of the day after work. So you'd come home exhausted after uh, what, a eight hour, 10 mm -hmm. hour work day. And then you'd go right back into working on your passion project on your side project. Yeah. I mean, there were breaks, right. And it wasn't every night, but it was a lot of nights and weekends. 
Um, and we spent months, I'm trying to remember the timeline, but you know, I think it was probably close to six to eight months really working on the idea and refining it and simplifying it so that we had something that was sustainable that we could ship. And so we named the project The Great Discontent, which... Where did that come from? The name came from a mentor who said, you have to learn to be content in your discontent, meaning that um, it's okay to have ambitions and it's okay to want something more than what you have, but know that you will continue to metabolize your accomplishments and achievements. So you'll probably always have a sense of restlessness and discontent, and that's okay. That's a lot to, you're you're running this business with your husband. And that can be a challenge, working with somebody that you love and having it not, um, not affect the way that you communicate as a couple as well as in the in the business. Did you do you feel like the publication was influencing your relationship at that point? I think that both influenced both. So, I think that our relationship influenced our desire to do this creative project together. And then I think once we were in this creative project together, it was really there was momentum that we had to keep up with and my, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but my my experience was that in the same way that I can imagine when you have a kid, that becomes your focus. The business really became our focus. And because it was DIY, grassroots, startup-esque, we were putting a lot of our time, energy, and resources into the business. And in my mind, it was when we get to this point or when we make this amount of money or when this happens, then I can focus more on my marriage. I can focus more on my friendships. I can focus more on visiting family and staying in touch with them. I can take better care of myself. You know, I was putting off a lot of aspects of my life to work on this side project turn full-time gig for me. And that can be sort of dangerous because when you say when this happens, Mm -hmm then everything will fall into place or then I'll be able to focus on the next thing. But I find in my life that when I do that, then the finish line just keeps moving. Yeah, you Is just that move your experience? Mm-hmm. You just move the marker. Oh, now I need to get to this point. Now I need to get to this point. And it it just never ends. Eventually, so so what happened was we did the Kickstarter. We made print issues. We made more print issues. We had an online shop. We distributed the magazine to bookstores around the world. We worked with distributors. We launched a live event series in New York, which I hosted, and we did 24 events in, no, we did 20 events in 24 months, Um, published the audio to a podcast. It was amazing. It became this multimedia publication, incredible creative community, um, grew out of it. Um, But what happened ultimately was that my marriage ended, and pretty abruptly. And at that point, it was like everything stopped. And I had been working so hard and neglecting many parts of my life that I was then faced with, right? Because I couldn't, I couldn't just throw myself into work. So I had to reassess everything. I can't say if the magazine, you know, I can't, you know, it's like there's a million little decisions and things that add up to building a relationship and to the end of a relationship. So I can't pinpoint exactly you know, was it the stress of running a business together? Was it not having boundaries of this is personal life, this is a relationship, and this is work? I don't know. I can say there are many things I would do differently, but 
Yeah, I can't. That must be really difficult when you, you're defined in a way in your professional life, you're defined by this other thing that you and your husband had birthed. Like you, you would said it was like, it like having a child in a way. And so you have that identity that's wrapped up in the identity of not only being, being the partner of someone, uh, the, the married partner, but also being the business partner. So was there a point as the marriage was ending, was there a point where you said, I need to back away from this other entity, back away from the community, the, the business, the magazine, everything that you had created for self-preservation? Oh, absolutely. So my whole life was thrown into one pot, right? My um, marriage, my business, my friendships, everything was enmeshed. And I felt totally defined by my marriage and my business, which was people love the story of, you know, a husband and wife co-founder. People loved that. People wanted to talk about us working together as life partners just as much as they wanted to talk about the magazine and what we did with that. And so that had become the narrative behind the magazine too, right? And I felt loyalty to the business I built. I felt loyalty to my community. And I felt like I was disappointing people. I also felt like, oh my goodness, I don't know who I am outside of my marriage. I don't know who I am outside of this business. I don't know if anyone will want to work with me or hear from me or invite me to speak or be part of events if I let go of this. But ultimately, I knew that I needed to create some space and distance to allow myself to heal and to rebuild my life and to gain perspective on what do I want to do next because I didn't know. But how, Tina, how do you do that when when your life is totally enmeshed with this brand and this person? Like, where do you begin? I'm sure there's some people listening to the podcast right now who know who know they have to make a change. What was the first step? And then how did you how did you create that distance and redefine who you were? Well, my instinct was to just stop everything and and walk away because when you're hurting and you're in pain, all you want to do is not be in pain. But I spoke with a mentor. I had, you know, I was going to therapy. I had friends I could talk to, um, like very close inner circle. And then I had a couple mentors who had known me through the years. And one of my mentors said, look, you were married for a decade. You were in business together for five years. It took you that long to build both of those things together. It's going to take you some time to untangle those things. And so I committed to the process, whatever it would look like. What that looked like for me was my marriage ended in January 2017. And I continued to work on the business through December 2017 because I had some commitments and I wanted to honor them. And I also didn't know what I would do next. The magazine was my life. And so I was going through the process of getting divorced to my husband and business partner while I was still working on the business and that was hard. I don't I don't know how I did it other than to say we decided to silo this is personal, this is business and we had always worked together very very well. It was like a well-oiled machine. So on the business side of things, it 
felt like, you know, just simply keeping up that routine and maintenance. But I gave myself a whole year and I'm really glad I did because I felt good about how I transitioned out of the magazine rather than just abruptly ending it and and stopping. Um, But ultimately, you stepped away from the magazine and created a new career for yourself. mm -hmm. How did you decide this thing that you had built together was now going to be passed on to him to, to maintain? So I talked a lot about this with my mentor because part of me wanted to retain the business and see what I could do with it. But I was also feeling really burnt out. And I knew that I needed my own identity outside of the business because the business had, because the business was so closely tied to my marriage, I didn't feel like I was capable of moving on to a new chapter and a new identity if I remained in something that was so closely tied to a former chapter of my life. So uh, let's let's fast forward a little bit past the point where the the marriage has ended, you've made this decision, and now you have to develop a new identity for yourself. How did you move into coaching and decide, did you ever make a conscious choice for that to be your next path or did it evolve more organically? I did make a, con. there, were, there was an exact moment in time when I said, aha, I'm going to become a coach for the creative community. What happened was I was at a party in New York and one of my friends who Um, works in a creative field, said to me, I'm working with a life coach and I really enjoy the process, but he doesn't quite understand the creative world. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've just, I've been interviewing creatives for six years. It's also my community and my home. Plus I have a social work degree. Could I combine those two things? And I had, I had written down on my to-do list, my very long to-do list, look into coaching, but it felt ambiguous and I didn't know where to start. After that conversation with him, I went home, looked up programs online, found one in Atlanta that offered accelerated training because I had my social work degree. I didn't want to do a whole year or two of training. I signed up. I had hardly any money. So I charged tuition to my credit card and thought, I hope this works. I hope I can get clients and pay off this credit card bill. Yeah, we've all done that, like credit card (laughs) charging on hope. (laughs) It's going to work out somehow. But if you're on purpose, somehow it does. Mm -hmm. So you completed the program and then... Did you like hang a shingle? Like now I'm Tina S maker coaching and, and how, I mean, how do you get clients? How do you begin that? So I signed up for the training and went to Atlanta in October, 2017. So this is during the year. I'm still working on the magazine and transitioning out. There's a lot of overlap, right? So I just started telling people, as soon as I signed up for the training, I started telling people at conferences and events, Hey, I'm going to be a creative coach. So, you know, I'll let you know when my business launches. I hadn't even been trained, but for me, it felt like the only way to make it real was to say it audibly to people and take that risk. And well, then that's I, a coaching technique, right? <laughs> yeah. If you, if it's, if it's just written on a paper, like you said, mm-hmm. look into coaching, that's, that's nebulous. Mm-hmm. That's just an idea. But if you tell people it's a commitment. And then people started saying, oh my gosh, that's great. We need that. And also asking me questions that helped me think through, oh, what could it look like more specifically? Then I went to the training, got trained, and my facilitator, who's been coaching for over 30 years, said, you have so much life experience. Now you have the training. Go home and begin coaching. And so I did, and I began charging right away. And it was through word of mouth. Speaking of word of mouth... 
Thanks to our listener, DBR2020, for leaving us an Apple Podcast review. DBR says the topics and content are so relatable. This podcast really makes me feel the sense of small business community, even though I work alone all day. I know I can relate to DBR. Hopefully you can too. We love having you as a part of this community, and we would love to know what you think of the new season. You can leave your review on whichever platform you're listening to us right now, and that will help us to reach new people and keep growing the I Make a Living community. As you heard in Tina's story, word of mouth can make a big impact. Yet, in recent conversations with entrepreneurs at I Make a Living live events, I'm seeing this tendency to think of organic word of mouth marketing as a thing of the past. Sometimes we would rather market to strangers than ask our community to support our business. It just seems so much easier to find clients on the internet and social media. However, Nielsen wants us to re-examine our views on word-of-mouth marketing. According to them, 92% of consumers believe suggestions from friends and family more than advertising. Word-of-mouth marketing costs absolutely nothing. And Tina's simple strategy for promoting herself to new clients is actually pretty genius. I reached out to people and said, I'm coaching now. If you or anyone you know might want to work with a coach, reach out. Plus, the community that had grown around The Great Discontent, you know, many of those people followed my journey. They're still my community. They're still my friends. They're still my colleagues and peers, which is really beautiful. So um, a lot of the people who read the magazine now wanted to work with me as a coach because they were feeling inspired, but now they wanted to take action and they wanted someone to help guide them and keep them accountable. So for the first year, I had a one-page website that simply said, this is my story. This is my training. This is how you can work with me. Got in touch. And then a year later, after I had coached many clients and gotten many hours under my belt and done more speaking and writing, I created a full-fledged website on Squarespace all by myself. I'm so proud of that because I'm not a designer. And but you are it. creative, right? I am. I am. <laughs> um, and I launched my website and, you know, there, here I am. <laughs> Tina, there must have been a point where you've gotten all the training and yes, you've worked professionally as a creative for so many years, but if you're beginning a new endeavor and you've had months of training essentially in what this specific job is, there must be a part of you that gets there and feels like an imposter and is like, what the heck am I even doing? What do I know about coaching? Did that come up for you? Oh, definitely. I mean, it still does. I still wonder, is there going to be a a day when no one wants to work with me? No one wants to coach with me. And this is part of taking a non-traditional path because no one's going to knight you and say, aha, now you are a coach and you can go out and get clients. So I think that for me, it's just a continual act of faith that knowing that my, what I'm doing is valuable and it's needed. And then trusting that clients will come to me, but it's not just build it and they will come. I mean, there's a lot of marketing. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of reaching out to people to build a business. You can't just build a great website and expect people to come to you. But yes, I didn't know if coaching would work. I started calling it, you know, career coaching for creatives or creative coaching. Now other people, now I've met other people who call it that, but at the time I was just making it up. Um, I totally relate. People (laughs) are like, what is a dating coach? (laughs) Exactly. And so I just thought, well, this signifies the, you know, my specialty. 
in the community I work with. And then I just put it out into the world and kept telling people, this is what I do and reminding people, I'm here, I'm doing this work, I'm available to work with clients. Um, and it really is, it's an act of faith. And it, you never reach a point where you can sit back and relax and feel like, ah, okay, cool, I have it all figured out. I'm still figuring it out. I'm still growing the business. I'm still deciding, you know, what do I want it to look like in one or three or five or 10 years? Do you have a specific business plan that you wrote up? What does that look like on the business planning side? Sure. So I do have a plan. I like to have a master list of things I want to achieve, but then I like to do goals quarterly. So, you know, I have kind of a in my head, what do I need to make this year? What do I want to make each month, quarter, all of that? And then, um, you know, what, what are kind of like the high level goals and the key activities that support that. So for example, this year, one of my goals was to launch my first online course, which I did, which is very exciting. Um, the first year of my business, it was just get some one-to-one on one clients and see if people are even into this idea. Right. And then, um, it was, oh, let's see if I can get some publications to allow me to write for them about the types of things that I address in my coaching business. So I definitely have a plan of, how I want to build out the business and the different parts that I want to grow. Um, But then again, you know, it's seeing like, is this an area where my skills and the value I'm contributing, oh, do they overlap? And is it something that people want to pay for? Is there a point where you would reevaluate and see if this path makes sense for you? I mean, I think continuously mm-hmm. I'm, re- I'm, I'm reevaluating all of the time. I mean, I have other goals, you know, so I'm, I'm coaching, writing and speaking. A lot of the writing I'm doing is more academic, like doing research. I'm interviewing people. I would like to do more personal writing, more, you know, essays and narrative driven stuff. So I have so many ambitions and I see coaching as this kind of ever evolving practice that continues to um, be like a bucket to put all of my interests and curiosities into. Mm -hmm. But I think that, um, I think that it's important to always reevaluate. And I think that, yes, I will reinvent again at some point in my career. And I think that all of us will be faced with these moments where we're invited to reinvent either something happens, right? Like my marriage ended and I reinvented because I needed to, or sometimes we take it upon ourselves to reinvent because we feel called in a different direction. This is such a great conversation for anyone that's at that turning point. And here we are at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we come back from the holidays and we have we have all these big ideas. Let's say someone listening is a creative and they're thinking, they're thinking of beginning this new path. But I know as a creative myself as well it's, it's, um, it's not easy to make a living as a creative and it can be, um, really scary to take that leap. If you have something that's steady and stable, like you did when you were a social worker, how do you help people identify if this is the time to make that leap? Mm, I mean, that's a great question. And I have a lot of clients who are asking that for themselves. I've asked myself that question many times. What I want to point out, which, um, is related to what you're asking is that when I was transitioning into coaching, I was taking freelance content strategy and um, community building work. So I had reached out to friends and said, I'm transitioning out of the magazine. I'm going to go into coaching, but in the meantime, I'm looking for freelance projects. 
And I did that for 2017 and I did that for 2018 for the first year of my coaching business. So I wasn't just making a living doing coaching to start. In 2019, I said, ooh, I wonder if I can cut out the freelance projects and do coaching, writing, and speaking and make a living just from that. And it was, oh my gosh, I was so nervous. Like, can I do this? And if I can't, what does it mean? And I have done it. I'll make less this year than I made last year when I was doing freelance projects, but I'm still making more than I ever made doing social work or working in publishing. And I'm building it myself, which I'm so proud of. So it takes a long time to build a business. My advice is if you have something steady, well, I don't want to give blanket advice. What I will say is I encourage people who have something steady and stable to keep that for as long as you can while you're building something on the side because you want to build something that you can leap into. Some people do take a leap very abruptly and it works out for them and that's wonderful. But I think most of us who are risk averse, which is definitely me, you want something soft to land on, right? So you want to have your idea flushed out. You want to have some conversation started around it. You want to have promoted it a little bit. Maybe you have a home online for it, or you've started to do some events and talk about it publicly. So begin to build what you want to go into before you leave the thing that you're in. And I would say do it for at least a year. There's always overlap. There's no such thing, from my experience, as you're doing one thing, you quit it, and you move into the next thing. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap. And even in your story, there are a lot of places where your past experience may have seemed like something completely different. Mm -hmm. Social work, how does that relate to the magazine? But you found a way to marry it all in the end and use that experience in in your coaching work today. So I think nothing is wasted. I agree. Do do you have um, a motto that you like to live by now? Is there something that you you always share with your clients to help them frame the way they're thinking about their business or their next creative endeavor? Mm. Well, I really like to look at work and life as a season. So, you know, nothing lasts forever. Um, Also, something doesn't have to last forever to be good or valuable or be an important contribution to the world. Um, So I want to make note of that. But I look at seasons. So for the next season of your work or life, what do you desire? What are your goals? And that can change because, right, we have this thinking that when we make a decision, it's a forever decision. And whatever I do next with my business, I have to do that forever. But no, that can change. You can pivot. You can reinvent. So just for the next season, maybe that's the next quarter. Maybe it's the next year. Maybe it's the next three years. Um, So think seasonally, which, you know, makes sense because I love that. (laughs) I love that, Tina, though, because so many people say, what's your 10 year plan? Mm -hmm. And for creatives, you don't necessarily know your 10 year plan. Like I can predict what I'm doing six months from now. Uh, 55 months from now, it's a little less clear, right? So (laughs) so, um, I think that's great advice. Tina, a lot of times when we're starting a new business, especially if you're leaving a steady gig, you think, well, I have to be successful. Like if I don't make a living in the next three months, then, then this was a failure. And I wonder as you're working with creatives, if there's a period of time that you have people um, assess their success within or how you prepare them to make this, take this step if they're leaving something that's really um, a more of a, a steady gig. We really need to give ourselves space, whatever that looks like. Is it three months, six months, a year? And then defining term success on our own terms so that we're working toward what we want. You know, there's this really, 
I forget who the quote is by, but it's essentially, is your ladder leaning against the wrong wall? So do you climb to the top and then realize, oh my gosh, this is not my wall. This is someone else's. Like, I don't recognize what's up here. This isn't what I wanted. Right. So we or really, like you look at your boss's job and if your boss doesn't, if, if your boss's job doesn't appeal to you, then you're probably on the wrong ladder. Mm-hmm. But I liked what you said earlier about even though you're making less money, you're fulfilled in a different way. And I've been trying to redefine this for myself in, in business because we're so conditioned to go for a certain financial marker and that when you write down your goals, it's like, I have to make this much money. But what is your time worth? What is the ability mm-hmm. to put that wor- your workout time in your calendar? What is uh, What is the value of being able to go to your son's school like I did this morning and spend time there when I couldn't have done that when I was working 60 hours a week mm-hmm. at, at a, an executive job. So like you said, redefining that goalpost and I, I think we have to put happiness in it as well. Don't we? There yeah. are other markers than just money. I agree. Um, it's the emotional balance sheet, right? It's like, okay, maybe this job brings in money, but what else is worth what else is valuable to me in addition to money, right? So like you said, is it time with your son? Is it time with your family? Is it having control over your schedule? Is it being able to set your own goals about projects that you want to work toward? Um, it's all those things for me. So um, thinking about you know being in a place where I was working all the time and neglecting many aspects of my life to everything stopping and, and having a moment to reassess, I decided there were things that were important to me in addition to money, right? Money is important and we need it to pay our bills and survive. But I wanted to continue to be able to take care of myself um, in this new way that I was, right? To nurture myself and my relationships um, and be able to travel and have flexibility. And I have all those things now. And I'm making a living. You know, it's not like I'm, um, you know, I'm making more than I did as a social worker, which is like, wow, I went to school for that. Um, so it, it feels pretty incredible to have reassessed, reassessed everything and reinvented and come out on the other side. And I'm sure I'll go through it again, but I'm pretty proud of where I am now. What Tina said here is probably one of the biggest keys to successful transitions, acknowledging your own accomplishments and being proud of yourself for getting this far. Tina, we like to end each episode with tips and tools So in this segment, you tell us what are your favorite tools that you use in your business or any tips that you like to share with your clients, friends? Well, um, be very involved in your finances. Know everything that's coming in and everything that's going out. Um, I like to use an app called Every Dollar, which helps you literally track every dollar. Um, Because for years, I was not involved in my finances because I came from the Midwest where typically and it's very, it's very gendered, you know, roles in terms of who handles money. And once I was on my own and starting a business, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to manage all of my finances personally and professionally. And so getting over my fear of money and just diving into the numbers was really helpful and do it from the beginning. You know, if, when you're starting a business endeavor, have an accountant, 
have software that you're tracking your finances with like fresh books like, for example yes like for example and, and they didn't they are <laughs> we not, did not pay her to say that you guys <laughs> they are not paying me it's but it's true like you need to be on top of it from the start because if you're not you know into the numbers when you're making a little bit of money when you're making a lot it's going to be overwhelming so know what is going on with your money at every time um, at all times and I'm a huge fan of Google Calendar. I have everything color-coded. I like to use the tasks function in there. And then on your phone, um, in the app, you can do reminders. So actually, it's called goals, I believe. So you can set goals if you want to you know, work out three times a week for half an hour or you want to call a friend. And so what I like to do is is a big tip is if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen. So the things that are important to you that might not be business related, put those in the calendar, like time to call a friend or family, um, journaling time, time at the gym, whatever you need to do to take care of yourself as a person so that you can run your business, put that in your calendar and make it non-negotiable. Pro tip, when you finally get around to organizing your calendar, your life will change completely. My husband and I started sharing a Google Calendar about a decade ago, and it's made a world of difference. Now, if only I could do something about this overloaded email inbox. It has been such a pleasure talking with you, Tina. Thank you for being on I Make a Living. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I am a big believer in business coaching. And it comes in all specialties and structures, but coaches all have a few things in common. They provide you with an outside perspective on your business. They help you create clear goals for yourself. And they keep you accountable for those goals. Even when I'm not participating in a coaching program, I think it's really important to get advice from my peers. I wonder who you turn to for advice. Let's start a conversation. I'm always looking for some good suggestions from fellow entrepreneurs. You can tweet me at Damona Hoffman. And don't forget to implement Tina's great takeaways from today's episode. Find a creative and concise way to describe your job. Put less pressure on the outcome of your transition. Rather, enjoy the journey and let your business unfold as you go. And don't get too comfortable. Reevaluate your goals at least quarterly. If you're in the midst of considering a creative transition, book your first free consultation on Tina's website, tinasmaker.com, and be sure to follow her on social media at Tina Smaker for updates and more great advice. We'll put all of those links in the show notes. This podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. Do you want to know more about how you can save hours on accounting paperwork and focus more on your business? Then head over to freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L to receive an exclusive offer from us. That's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Producing and direction comes from Paco Arismendi. And I'm your host and producer, Demona Hoffman. You can connect with me at Demona Hoffman or at demonahoffman.com. We'd love to see you at an I Make a Living live event as we travel North America and the UK. Go to imakealiving.com to find out when we'll be in a city near you. Whatever challenge or transition you're facing right now, just remember, it's your business. See you next week.